Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like, Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. If you feel there's more to life than iPhones and iPads and mindless consumerism, if you're open to receiving information in all forms in any number of ways, if organized religion organized political movements, and any kind of collectivism doesn't just quite cut it for you. If you engage in critical thinking, if you think for yourself, if you have peace and love in your heart and Jack Daniels in your bloodstream, if you believe that seriousness is a disease, if you're curious, then come, let us go on a journey together as we explore the outer limits of inner truth. Welcome to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Tonight, we have a very special broadcast. Have you ever done anything really stupid or something that you regretted or something that you wish you had done better in your life and thought the past is the past, there's no way to change it? Wrong. There is a way to change it, and it seems to be that this way is evolving quite rapidly and it's called Quantum Jumping. And tonight we have Cynthia Sue Larson. She's a best-selling author and a quantum optimist. This is a, I call it a very rare and scientific and spiritual interview. I'm really, really, we're really excited to present it to you tonight. Also want to thank everyone who called into our last week's show, which is our one-year anniversary. The phone lines were lit up. That was the highest amount of calls we've ever had. If you take the U.S. national debt, you times it by four. That's roughly how many people were calling into last week's show. So thank you guys very much for making it a very great year. So now, without further ado, let us begin our show about quantum jumps. Our guest today is, I'm just ecstatic for our guest today. We have Miss Cynthia Sue Larson, who is a best-selling author, a researcher, a transformational speaker, who helps realize all the possibilities that are out there. She's been spending for the last 15 years sharing findings from scientific research in quantum physics, quantum biology. She's got a strong letter of endorsement from Dr. Fred Allen Wolf, who was the st- one of the stars from the 2004 epic film, What the Bleep Do We Know? So without further ado, let us welcome to the program Ms. Cynthia Sue Larson. Welcome to the program, Cynthia. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Ryan. Yeah. Really glad to be on the show. Thank you. So let's talk about your book, one of your latest books that you have that have just come out, talking about quantum jumps. Can you please explain to people what a quantum jump is and why this represents a radical new shift and how people have been thinking about, let's say, for example, throughout the course of human civilization? 
Right. Well, the basic concept with a quantum jump, as I in- describe it in the book, Quantum Jumps, is that it's um, basically taking yourself from, usually, uh, from, from one way of being and thinking and experiencing the world to another. And the way that it happens is by virtue of the fact that quantum phenomena are happening all around us in our daily lives. That's the basic premise of the book. So um, the concept then. So wait, what, is, what is kind of? It sounds scientific. No, wait, what, what is quantum <laughs> phenomena? Is that just the the, the, okay. the physical manifestations of thoughts and energy that it's considered internal? Well, yes. It's quantum. Basically, is the essential, indivisible basic building block of reality. That's what it was meant to mean. And, you know, it's based on that Latin word quanta. So the idea with quantum physics is that when scientists wanted to know what is reality made of, they wanted to get into the, you know, into the atom. And then inside of the atom, they found protons and neutrons and electrons. And they just kept wanting to go smaller and smaller to get down to the very core, the smallest thing they could possibly get to. What they found at the very smallest level, they called quantum particles. We know them as things like photons of light and electrons. Those are good examples. And at that level of reality, many people may have heard that matter and energy are interchangeable. In other words, um, you can look at a quantum particle as either being material, something you can measure, or sometimes it exists in a pure energy wave state without going into all the specifics and the science of it, um, that's basically the, the essential premise. Now, when you start looking at that realm of quantum particles and quantum phenomena, some of the things that happen uh, are that you get the uh, occasional situation where quantum particles can be entangled with one another. When that happens, then there's this kind of synchrony going on, this um, amazing coordination. So it's as if things that aren't even connected somehow are in awareness of one another, you, kind of like they're in cahoots. Sure. Can, I, can I pause you for that moment? Was that, is that a yes. scientific description of the hundredth monkey effect? That's a good way to look okay. at it. Yeah, it's kind of like looking at that um, that entanglement. Um, I, I think of entanglement when things are entangled across space as um, very intuitive. And so hundredth monkey is a great way of looking at that entanglement where particles are connected as being you know, spread out, and when that hundredth monkey, you know, I guess when you, with that particular example, 99 monkeys are washing their food, the hundredth monkey on the island across the way, where none of the monkeys had been washing their food, suddenly starts washing its food, and that would be exactly that example of entanglement, and also coherence. um, There's some related concepts in quantum physics. Um, Entanglement is that one where things are connected across distances. Coherence is where those synchronicities and coincidences start occurring. Okay, I want to ask you real quick is that um, you've talked in your book about my understanding is that we're all connected as one, and we, when we say the, the one connectiveness, uh, it seems in a scientific way it's it's the one connectiveness um, with matter, like matter, matter is all connected as one or all kind of integrated. I wonder, how does it apply to the spirituality? How does uh, how do you define a spirit as a, a particle or, or something to be defined that we could say it as being connected with all things? Well, truthfully, that oneness that I'm describing is actually happening more on the energetic scale. So even though it does have a material 
um, co- um, counterpart. You could look at it as like, okay, you occasionally see things in their ma- material form. Um, what that oneness that I'm talking about is this oneness across what you might call a multiverse of possibilities. So in my book, Quantum Jumps, I talk about the fact that we likely exist in a holographic multiverse. So if you look at your hand as an example of all this, and the fingers each represent parallel universes that kind of usually exist separately. In one reality, you're, you're healthy. In another one, you're starting to catch a cold. In a third, um, you know, something else is happening and so forth. So these are various possible realities for each one of us. And if you look at the palm of your hand as that decision point where things kind of started converging, you can also think of that palm of your hand as embodying that holographic component where the realities do converge. They are connected, and there's this, uh, within a hologram, there's the idea that any part of a hologram is connected to every other aspect of it. Okay. So this is a huge idea, oh. looking at the multiverse and then adding in the holographic component. Well, it, I think so. it is amazing what you're just describing because, um, let's say, that might imply that every if you're, if you're living one life, that across the multiverse you were experiencing every single potential outcome of that life, um, you know, across multiple ways. So if you decided to brush your teeth or didn't brush your teeth, that's playing out in all different universes. But I need to ask you this, is that the reality that we come to know as our daily lives, um, we stubbed our toe last week. We remember that we stubbed our toe. It is the dominating conscious thought from the reality from which we're perceiving how are we able to access other realities where that didn't happen, where we actually, you know, didn't stub our toe and everything was fine? Why is that um, notion that we've stubbed our toe, the dominating conscious thoughts of the reality that we're living right now, and how can we actually quantum jump to that other reality where everything is completely different? And that's the $64 million question. You hit the nail on the head, so you jumped right to it. Yes, um, that is exactly it. Usually, we travel through these universes all the time. It's it's just a subconscious process that's constantly occurring. Sometimes we do it a little bit consciously, such as professional athletes that work with a coach, and they train themselves to, to envision that they're doing their athletic performance perfectly. It's a really good example of acting as if, you know, visualizing and so forth. So we can do something very similar, uh, recognizing that all the time we're making these choices that we're usually not consciously aware of. Sometimes we realize, okay, I can't afford to be sick today. I have to be well. I'm going to be well. And we can will ourselves uh, into that. We can also act as if. So these are some examples of how to get there. But the key to it all is meditation. What does meditation do, and how does it impact a person's field? Let's say, example, a person's meditating around their energy field. What does that necessarily do? Okay. I'm going to switch gears literally and take you from looking at your hand um, to imagining that you can switch realities just like shifting gears on your car. Meditation is putting your foot on the clutch pedal and disengaging from a particular physical reality, such as the one in which you're starting to come down with a cold. When you go into a meditative state, you're able to detach yourself from the physical reality that you usually feel like you're stuck in, that you're saddled with. Um, this would be the reality where people tell themselves stories. Um, maybe they're in a victim mode. They feel like, well, if this hadn't happened, you know, they're blaming either themselves or someone else. When you detach, when you meditate, it's like you're observing the person who's having those experiences. That's what I mean by mindfulness and detachment. It's a state of 
meditative awareness where you can look at at, at the you that is feeling those things and recognize um, that you can actually have a lot more choices available to you than you might have realized. So that meditation is really putting your foot on that clutch pedal, disengaging from a particular gear, from a particular physical reality, and then with the wonderful insights you are able to access through that meditative state, you can re-engage uh, either just subconsciously to something where you're just wishing for something to be a lot more in alignment with your core values, and uh, you might not have any specifics in mind, or you might it might be very focused. It might be just, I can't be sick today. I must be well. And then suddenly you feel like you're just getting over that cold. Okay, so let's say that if you have a uh, very passionate will for it and then you're meditating, meditation what actually what you would say puts um, jet fuel in your ability to, um, let's say, manifest the physical reality or the physical state of being that you wish to um, have? Well, it's, the, the way I describe it in the book is a three-step process. So it starts with the meditation. And people that have never meditated might not know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but what's a, what is a, is the example, the, the Cliff Notes <laughs> version of what is meditation? Because people, people yeah. just assume that, you know, well, meditation was basically, I go, to, I go to a class with a bunch of people and I sit down on a mat and then I go back and forth and I, or I sit down. And, you know, it's very difficult because everyone's got phones and they've got, you know, the farm game on their phone and they got mafia wars and and they're thinking about what's on TV. How do you calm your brain down and sit there and do nothing? What? I know. How do you do it? <laughs> That's exactly it. it. Well, this is something that this is a part that takes practice and it takes a lot of doing it and feeling like nothing's happening and feeling like this doesn't work for me and just getting back into it anyway. Uh, some people have success working with a meditation CD. Some people can meditate when they're taking a walk in nature or gardening. And so a lot of it has to do with recognizing you don't have to join a class and sit there and chant OM necessarily. I mean, that can work for some people, but you can choose the kind of meditation that works best for you. So once you find something that seems like it's allowing you to slow down your breathing and that you're starting to notice that you have less stress in your life, you're feeling just a general sense of well-being. Um, you're getting to a state where you feel like you can see more possibilities. You don't feel so stuck. These are indications that you are meditating and getting some good results. So once you learn how to do that and can attain that relaxed, detached, peaceful, meditative, mindful state of mind, then step two would be to feel energized about your visualized positive outcome. This is the part where you hopefully are excited and feeling some happy anticipation that what you're visualizing is something you're actually looking forward to. The step two is really important because people that are thinking that they want something and actually it isn't something they really care about at all, like they might think, um, I need this job, but actually they've got mixed feelings about it. So their, their guts are not in it, their heart's not in it. Um, that typically isn't going to succeed very well. So it, it really does matter that you know yourself. And once again, the meditation helps. The more you meditate, the more likely it is that you'll know yourself and you won't be aiming for somebody else's goals in life, but rather you'll be knowing what it is that works best for you. Okay, and do you find that um, if you are, if your goal in life is to, let's see, be successful for you or to manifest something in your life, 
and then you have another goal, which is to infringe upon someone or get someone out there, do you have a better, where do you have the closer alignment to the universe and the manifestation? And also, if you have more will and you're able to dominate someone, can you have an easier time of dominating someone else rather than manifesting something in your own life? Well, personally, I would recommend uh, having a better alignment with oneness and all that is, which is a much more of a collaborative, cooperative mindset rather than competitive. Not that there's necessarily something wrong with competition, um, but the example, as I understand out of what you're saying, is that uh, some people would start getting some tension inside themselves, just feeling like, okay, maybe I'm, I'm clawing my way to the top, I'm stepping on people's faces to get there. On some deep subconscious level, that doesn't tend to feel very good. And so uh, it's going to create some inner, um, you know, tension and conflict within the person, uh, most likely. And therefore, I wouldn't recommend that approach. Okay. Now, let's talking about the experiences in the multiverse, and then we talk. We touch briefly upon it. You said the sixty-four million dollar question is: Do we have the ability to change or do things, or you know, basically, you know, change things that have happened in the past, or maybe change things that are going on in the future? What do you feel? would take for that to occur and how and I want to know if you can answer that and also just talk about why this what is the some of the things that we can expect by entering into this quantum age how is humanity going to forever change or be forever changed by this pure era of history that we're entering into yes it's a big change um the, the significance is not fully realized by most people just yet just like during the Stone Age, um, the people that were using stone tools and implements, they were the first ones to notice something big was going on. In the Bronze Age, the people using bronze had the upper hand. Uh, most recently, we had the Information Age. We thought our computers are really hot stuff. We used to think, um, I'm saying used to, because some of us are aware that we've hit the upper limit on what computers are able to do. Uh, computers as we know them have pretty much topped out. They can't be made much smaller. They can't be made much faster, with the exception that we can bring in quantum computing. This quantum concept takes things to the microscopic level, the microscopic realm, where we conceivably are going to have processing power advantages way beyond anything we've ever yet seen, based on the fact that with uh, quantum computing, it's not working with bits and bytes and zeros and ones, but instead working with probabilities. Some of these uh, things I've been talking about with entanglement and coherence make quantum computers capable of solving problems that we've considered insolvable or very like, difficult to solve. What some of those problems like, that you can think of? That would be like the traveling salesman problem, for example, um, weather forecasting, uh, lots of multi-body problems where the variables are so numerous that we can't possibly work out all the solutions easily. Um, you know, just solving a rush hour traffic problem can be quite a, quite a nightmare. One of the examples I use in the book, Quantum Jumps, describes that nature has already solved the rush hour traffic problem, and it is definitely doing it with quantum now, processing. Now, how does that nature solve the rush hour traffic problem? I, did they figure out a way to get all those jerks that drive very slow and get them off the road? <laughs> well, I'm calling it the rush hour traffic problem, actually. It's a little bit of a trick. I'm actually talking about photosynthesis okay. and what plants are doing. And plants are actually solving the equivalent of the rush hour traffic problem by solving the fastest way 
to bring a photon of light from their leaf inside through a transport mechanism into a form of energy that the plant is able to process. So what that plant is doing is working at upwards of 90% efficiency and definitely doing what's known as a quantum random walk, which was noticed by some MIT um, computer scientists. So they were able to definitely verify for sure plants are using quantum processing. And what they're doing is pretty much the equivalent of solving a rush hour traffic problem through New York City, uh, you know, just finding that fastest way through the city. That's exactly what's going on inside of a plant every time it photosynthesizes. Okay, um, let's pause you for one second there. This seems like it could be something that would evolve our species astronomically. What Absolutely. now? What if? How does the average person begin to engage this and begin to learn about this on a not only just on an intellectual level, but on a soul, spiritual level? And how much does a person have to engage this type of, of intelligence that you're bringing, you're forthcoming? in order for them to truly feel its impacts and to truly, I guess, jumpstart or quantum jump their evolution. Right. Well, all the, the core concepts have to do with these quantum properties. Um, and one that I haven't mentioned yet, but it's implicit in the multiverse model, is something called superposition of states. That's where many possibilities exist simultaneously. And that's um, when you realize that each one of us is solving intuitive problems on this level every day. We get those gut feelings, and we have neurons inside of our guts. Um, you know, I believe that just like plants are working with quantum processing, and we're starting to notice birds are able to navigate, not so much through magnetoreception. Used to, we used to think it was their magnetoreceptors, but it's much more quantum processing. Birds are most likely using photons and um, you know, doing some real quantum processing as well. It looks like every single thing in nature is using quantum processing, including ourselves. And what quantum processing teaches us is that we are all connected, that we are not independent, and that we are not stuck in one particular, you know, realization of how things need to be in material form. Now, this is the reason that the placebo effect, for example, has been doubling over the last 30 years. So, and in other words, people are able to benefit from sham surgery and sugar pills. And even if you tell people you're in the placebo group, but people often get better who are in the placebo group, um, people do improve. And so it's showing that there's tremendous power in the power of the mind, that when you actually have an expectation that you're moving into that, that certain reality. And I didn't get to step three on what, how to get, do that quantum jumping process. First, you meditate. Then you visualize where you want to go. The third thing is do something in keeping with that new reality. So you're acting as if you're already happy by smiling, for example. And thus, we have the whole field of embodied cognition that is now opening up in psychology which is um, exactly that. You can laugh, you can smile. Uh, even if you're faking a smile, it absolutely changes your feelings and it brings a great sense of happiness into your life. Okay, but uh, if you're doing that and you're, you're, you're being happy and you're acting, you're pretending, don't you think that the, there's a form of cognitive dissonance out there where you, know, you could be pretending to be happy even though you're truthful, you don't know, and then you have that elasticity of truth that could potentially actually have the adverse effect if built up for a prolonged period of time? Well, the studies that I've seen so far 
basically indicate that um, there's, there could be some of that, of course. But actually, if you stay consistent with your practice and don't just do things like faking smiles, but you also keep, for example, a gratitude journal with the uh, it's sort of like a gratitude plus journal because instead of just writing down what you're grateful for that happened in the last 24 hours, make sure that you make a connection to what you had to do with that. That's one of your core qualities of who you are. So by doing, um, and I've got dozens of really laboratory-tested, scientifically proven similar things in the book, Quantum Jumps. So to make it easy for people so that whatever their stuck points might be, they can start recognizing that, that their beliefs, absolutely, all of our beliefs make such a big difference in the reality we experience. Okay. Um, I wanted to, based on what you're talking about, it seems that we could be seeing maybe the uh, the less relevant, I'm uh, sorry, sorry, let me start again. Based on the book that you've written, it seems that time is becoming more irrelevant with this quantum thinking because it seems that it, it is not to get to these points, to get to these states, to get to these feelings, it's like you're cutting out time. You're just taking a direct route, like, here, go yeah. right. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, actually. And and I do refer in the book to what's known as retrocausality, to being a, being affected by future choices that haven't happened yet. Um, this is a definite physical phenomenon that happens in lots of experiments in physics. We're also witnessing in psychology that humans tend to know what's happening before we actually receive the sensory information of whatever it was. So there's definitely a lot of that happening. And also, uh, I think a bigger question that, that ties into what you asked earlier has to do with this whole age that we're in and what are the impacts going to be. Um, one of the things that happens when you recognize that you, we are consciousness and we are choosing the physical realities that we're existing within is occasionally we do notice alternate histories. And what I mean by that is you might remember that you had cancer, but it totally vanished. You might remember a different experience from childhood than your sibling remembers. You might remember that a famous celebrity passed away, but then you see that they're happy and alive and well Well, so you think that this is actually occurring. Do you have some studies that actually would indicate that maybe there is an indication that this thing is manifesting, that we're having these... Absolutely. Yes. And um, I've been documenting this for about 13 years now. But in addition to that, you're right. We do have studies tracking what's called flashbulb memories. And that would be memories of people that have just witnessed um, something like the Challenger space shuttle explosion. And they write down exactly where they were, how they found out, what they were doing, and so forth. And that handwritten account is put away for a couple of years. The professors then ask the students at the university, okay, I'm going to ask you those same questions that we asked you a couple of years ago. They ask the same questions, and the students give different answers. And so then they look at their own handwritten account of where they were, how they found out, what they were doing when the Challenger space shuttle exploded, and it's very different. So, let's just say, do you, are you, have you ever heard of any studies where people were, were calling an event, like say, for example, a national tragedy, and they're like, oh, yeah, it was awful, and like, now they're like, well, well, what national tragedy? I don't recall anything like that. Yes, exactly. What, what national tragedies? Anything significant that we could uh, think of that you said people thought it was going to happen? And it's like, well, it didn't happen. We have we averted well, it. Well, I get reports of things like that quite often because I, I have this website, realityshifters.com, and I actually share stories and firsthand accounts from people. 
So sometimes they write to me um, with things that they, uh, when they have things like what you're describing, they usually say, please don't share this because I sound really crazy. But this is what I experienced. And then they'll tell me of uh, what really sounds like a complete calamity, a real disaster. And they'll tell me, I absolutely experienced this. This was real. Um, and then suddenly everything was fine again, and now I'm in this reality. Which is, what, um, anything it, what happened? Like, was, it, was it like a, an attack or something that you thought of? Or? Yeah, these are survivors of um, military attacks. Um, that's pretty much the usual. Thing. Have you ever come in, so Have you ever they, come in contact with someone um, who said that the United States, maybe, or the world, experienced some kind of economic catastrophe? Because we tend to focus a lot on that on the show, and it's interesting. But I almost feel like it's um, the world kind of teeters going back and forth. And I think that there's one example of where your book, I think, is a perfect example of something where um, the reality of the world changed. And this is going back to the Syrian conflict, when the U.S. is going to potentially get involved militarily, I almost feel like that the world was so engaged in that it did not want to see bloodshed that I almost feel like maybe that event actually did happen. Maybe it was a start of some colossal, global, apocalyptic ending conflict, and maybe the, the consciousness or the collective consciousness of the world stood up and said, no, we want a different reality. It's, it's really strange. I I, yeah, exactly. I, I personally believe all these realities are actually out there. What I advise people to keep doing every day is keep asking how good can it get. So even if you have tendencies of wanting to watch car crashes or world catastrophes, you can save yourself by just saying, okay, how good can it get? I know all the realities are out there. I don't really need to experience these disaster realities. I'm telling you, I've heard from many people that have experienced horrific realities, and then they've just snapped into what I would call a much better reality. Okay, so, let's do this. Right now, We it seems that the world, uh, at least in the U.S., it, it seems to be that, that there, there is a march away from freedom, that the, the personal liberty is, is diminishing at an all-time low, or at least rapidly accelerating that way. So if we're talking to every audience member out there, what can they potentially do to shift their consciousness or quantum shift to a place of greater liberty and greater individual freedom? Well, it starts with uh, appreciating and accepting uh, some of the things that are happening right now, finding the good in it. There's good even in a time like this where it seems like liberties are being threatened. And the good is that people no longer can take those liberties for granted. The good is that people are required to care about something that otherwise they might have gotten lazy about and might have assumed that the powers that be would look after people without us having to lift a finger or get involved. Okay. What about teleportation? And in terms of matter moving faster, let's say, for example, than potentially than the speed of light, how could the quantum uh, jumps be utilized for space exploration? And could conventional travel be a thing of the the ancient past if we're able to begin to, I don't know, use a practical and safe way of quantum jumping? That's a good question. Well, my own personal experiences with teleportation have mostly related to me daydreaming and then either by locating or be, being witnessed in places where I was daydreaming about. So, Apparently, uh, the more we meditate, the more likely it is that we can really master this uh, practice. I don't currently know of any teleportation masters in real life. I, I know it's one of those yogi cities 
that uh, Dean Radin talks about in his book, Supernormal. He's the chief scientist at Institute of Noetic Sciences, and he studied um, meditation masters. So that, that's another way to look at what's possible for humans. So I believe it is probably possible, but it's going to take a lot of meditation, and um, most of us really haven't achieved that level that I know of. What about, uh, have you ever gone and studied telekinesis? Yes. So telekinesis would be, um, again, I, I share some amazing stories in the book Quantum Jumps where basically people were um, being approached by oncoming vehicles. I think that's the most shocking form of what I would call akin to teleportation, telekinesis, or quantum tunneling, you know, basically where an oncoming Mack truck, for example, is coming right at a person. There's no way to get a, to get away from it. There's nowhere to go left or right. It's just it looks like an imminent a massive collision at high speed. And then the next thing the person knows that 18 wheelers on the other side. Uh, so I've I've received many reports of this kind of you could call it large scale telekinesis, quantum tunneling. But basically it's just recognizing that anything at any size is in a superposition of states. So it could something could be coming right at you. But you could also switch to a reality where that vehicle is on the other side of you. And it's it goes to pure energy state for just a moment, just long enough so that you're not colliding. And now it's you're, it's not ever going to strike you because it's on the other side. Okay. So it sounds kind of crazy. It oh, no, weird, I don't think anything that you're talking about is crazy <laughs> at all. I think that your work is actually cutting, very cutting edge. And another thing I wanted to ask you about is the um, – have you ever experienced a different uh, dimension – uh, it's parallel to ours or a different reality where the conventional laws of physics or the conventional laws of thinking do not apply. Yes, and mostly in meditation. It, it's just accessing a, a level of awareness where it seems like every thought is manifest. And I, 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 again, I don't think most of us have reached that level of competency where we would want to be operating like that. But but I have enjoyed um, a brief meditative experience at that level, and it's it's wonderful. But um, <laughs> it's again, it's something it's something to aspire toward and recognize. Wow, we have a ways to go, because even myself included, and I think most humans, we're we're going to need to get to the point where we're not envying our neighbors, we're not hating them, we're not feeling like we're judging people. We need to get past all of that before every thought that we think can manifest. And we'll be able to do so in a wonderful, joyful way that benefits everybody. Cindy, where's the website where people can find you? Well, my main website is realitysisters.com. And if you're interested just only in the book, then you can just go to quantumjumps.com and go straight to a picture of the book. And you'll also happen to be on my website as yes, well. Yes, if, if you go to Amazon, you'll also find that the book's got a very high rating. Um, not to say that anyone else's opinion matters, but your own. But it just you have a lot of people, respectable people across the board that are talking about how fascinating this book is. I have to say that um, when I had the experience of reading this book, it, it was very difficult to stop reading and there's so much information out there. So if you are looking for, let's say, a scientific backing or more information about why you may be perceiving reality differently or you're looking for the keys to open up additional doors, I can't highly uh, recommend this book uh, highly enough. So um, that being said, Cynthia, I want to thank you so much for being a part of our program today, and uh, we look forward to having you back soon. Oh, thank you. I'd love to come back. Yeah, there's a lot more to talk about. 
Okay, everyone, that concludes tonight's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. I want to give a special thanks to Miss Cynthia Sue Larson for a great interview about her book, Quantum Jumps. Also want to give a special thanks to our virtues, who even though they were not on the show tonight, they are still a huge and commanding presence on the show. And that is Miss Carrie O'Connor. Second Carrie O'Connor, go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Miss Laura Lynn, go to her website at angelreader.net. Miss Constance Stellis, our astrologer, go to our website at constancestellis.com. And Miss Lisa Casa, her website, lisacaza.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. To learn more about it, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet again, my friends, wishing upon you infinite peace, love, and beers. Have an unbelievable rest of the week. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can seem intense. Like, breakup R&B intense. I thought you said you love the sweater that I got you. If you didn't, you could have told me. Geico makes it easy. Just go to Geico.com anytime to update or check your policy. Without all the extra drama. I even had a gift Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? Ew, seriously. They squeeze the grease out of the wool and process it with chemicals, and then you eat it. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I got rid of products I didn't want anywhere near my body. I found that many multivitamins contain high amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and even lacked some of the nutrients we actually needed. So what did I do? At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. Ritual's products are made traceable, meaning we share the science and sourcing for every single ingredient. For example, our vegan vitamin D3 comes from sustainably harvested lichen in Nottingham, England, not sheep. We trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. See for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.